When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 52 of District of Conservation. Today we have Joe Candilas of the Western Bear Foundation back on the podcast to talk about what's happening out in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. I previously had Joe on one of my earlier podcasts to talk about the federal court ruling that barred a managed grizzly bear hunt from taking place in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which comprises eastern Idaho, southwestern Montana, and parts of Wyoming as well. And due to the action and subsequent challenge, the Fish and Wildlife Service had to relist the fully recovered grizzly bear species, put it back on the list, which is not reflective of current conservation standards and status of that species in question there because bears have reached about 700 in their population numbers, meaning it's fully recovered, it's far exceeded their carrying capacity, and all that. Even if you don't like bear hunting, you think it's the most obscene form of hunting out there, hear out Joe and what he has to say. I think you're going to find his remarks to be very compelling and see him make a very reasonable case for a very tightly regulated but ethically managed case for grizzly bears to be managed by hunters and by the state wildlife agencies. Here's our conversation with Joe. Thank you, Joe, for rejoining the podcast after a year since we last spoke. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me back on. Of course, I actually got a lot of positive feedback from your previous episodes, so I thought it would be uh, imperative for me to bring you on again to to kind of give us an update as to what's happening over there. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to get positive feedback, especially in the uh, the bear conservation world. Uh, organization like ours, uh, Western Bear Foundation, sometimes gets a lot of flack for our stance on being pro hunting and 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 the same time trying to conserve and 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 work to um, ensure a future for bears on the landscape. So it's been busy uh, since we last talked. I think we've saw the grizzly bear uh, get delisted, and then uh, a court Mm -hmm. decision out of Missoula, Judge Christensen um, basically void that rule, and now they have been relisted by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem grizzly bears have, and and currently there's an appeal by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in 9th District uh, out of San Francisco to appeal that ruling, so we are in the pretty sadly enough we're in that common ground of a court decision to uh decide the management of wildlife which is very sad that it's come to that yeah it seems to be politically hijacked as we talked about last time and i think even someone who doesn't go bear hunting or may not necessarily agree with it sees that too if they care about sound uh, wildlife management practices so as a refresher, could you talk about uh, ways that your organization reduces human-bear conflicts, especially what you guys have been doing lately to do that? Like I said, a part of our, our goal is to ensure future for bears and bear hunters. And, and 
you know, on the hunting side of things, we're always working to protect hunters' rights and ensure that there's bears on the landscape. And as part of being hunters and sportsmen and good advocates of, of the uh, wildlife, we have to ensure that we're doing whatever we can to keep bears on the landscape. And part of that is conflict mitigation, because when we get bears in trouble, a lot of times they get removed by wildlife management teams, and then that bear is out of the population and it's wasted. So a lot of our conflict mitigation work in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming uh, revolves around um, electric fencing, um, uh, which electric fencing projects are done around um, any livestock or um, food sources, beehives, stuff like that. Yeah, so we did the projects up in Valier, and then we did some projects in southwest Montana for black bear conflict mitigation. We have a lot of black bears expanding their range and getting into as, as humans expand on the landscape, we're going to have problems. And so we get a lot of black bears into garbage, um, beehives, chickens. And so we did some garbage um, storage work up there where we bought some bear-proof garbage cans and partnered with several other agencies, actually other NGOs, to do that, um, which was cool to see a collaborative effort of not necessarily like-minded uh, NGOs, uh, ourselves being the pro-hunting one in the group, but partnered with some uh, groups that don't really have a stance on hunting, but uh, typically probably wouldn't work with a hunting group. Um, so did a bunch of that. We did uh, bear spray giveaways in Idaho, which was really neat because Idaho is kind of on the front lines as far as the new areas where we're going to see some conflict problems with grizzly bears. They didn't have a huge population on their boundary to Yellowstone, but as our bears are moving out, we're starting to see more conflict in that area. So we gave around $10,000 worth of bear spray away in that um, eastern Idaho corridor to, to sportsmen. Um, had to have a fishing or hunting license to get the bear spray. So it was really cool to put bear spray in those people's hands. Um, like I said, we advocate for bear spray, but we don't mandate it and we don't think it should be mandated. We just want to give people that don't have something to protect themselves uh, something that they can use and, and we can't afford to give everyone a Glock 10. Right. <laughs> so we figured bear spray would be the easiest sure. route, route there. So doing a lot of that stuff to ensure that we're doing the best we can to keep bears on the mountain, because the more bears we lose through conflict and management actions is hurting our chance of delisting. So we can't lose sight of that part of the equation you know granted we're in a court decision and everything but we still have to do what we're doing to make sure that that population doesn't dip too low to where it's if we can get this out of the courts um we have an issue with population at that point so as always um we have to live in 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 harmony with the bears and and it's tougher now than it ever has been and, and largely due to this grizzly bear influx and and this population increase of grizzly bears uh, it's been a lot harder on, on human beings uh, than it has the bears, in my opinion, because we are having to adjust the way we live more um, to deal with these bears in these other areas. That is true. In Montana alone, I think it was last week or within the last two weeks, I think they had four bear attacks. I don't know how frequent it has been in yeah. Wyoming and, and probably it's similar in, in Idaho, but um would you say this is largely due to the fact that there is no managed hunt in place or is it just people being stupid and, and going into, into no. ter territories? What would you say is, is leading to these increased conflicts because they seem to be more numerous now? Yeah. Those four attacks in Montana, it was crazy. I hunted that same area last year for elk. Um, and I have a friend, uh, one of my best hunting buddies, best friend has hunted there his whole life. 
and until the last three or four years has never seen a grizzly bear in there and great elk hunting and last year we ran into some grizzly bears and we said man this is getting dangerous partly not for us as residents knowing kind of and being reading the news and understanding what's going on with grizzly bears a lot of non-residents hunt that so we we were thinking, you know, people come to those areas to hunt that don't understand the, the risks of, of running into a grizzly bear. And so that corridor there has just like exploded with the grizzly population. There is um, sheep operations in there, domestic sheep. Uh, um, uh, oh, what do I want to say here? Uh, allotments in there. There's cattle allotments. There's hunters. There's campers. There's recreation. There's a lot of food, and a lot of those bears are pushing up out of all oh, the gravelly towards Yellowstone area into that Ruby Valley, and it's going to be continue to be a major issue, and that is directly due to an increased population of bears, the bucket being too full where they used to live. Now they're expanding territory into new areas, and it's just going to continue in not only Montana but Idaho and Wyoming as well. Um, we're going to just see more of that, and that's why it's important for everyone that recreates in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. Used to be if you went to certain parts of those states, you didn't have to worry about it, but we just basically tell everyone now, you better be worried about it. Um, it's they're just expanding so fast um, and so rapidly that it, they're just going to be in all parts. That's crazy to think that even within a year, you're seeing this. And, and I think to the casual observer, they'll think, oh my, it's a coincidence with them stopping the proposed managed hunt, but obviously there, I mean, it was, it's kind of do, um, doomed to happen given the fact that the bears in this region have exceeded their carrying capacity. And that's what a lot of wildlife biologists have determined too. The, the, the hunting piece of it is really interesting because everyone goes back to hunting and, and, and hunting would have made some difference, but Montana mm -hmm. was only going to hunt two bears. So we can't, uh, the, the sad thing is, I think as a sportsman rely on hunting is to be the way that it was going to manage and be the answer to an increase in grizzly bear population. I like the hunting aspect for an opportunity to hunt grizzly bears and to cut down on the population a little bit, but I think we're overall population is going to be like 22 bears allowed to be mm -hmm. harvested most out of Wyoming. The amount of bears we're seeing in these areas, hunting will not put a dent in it. We have got to, uh, there's just so many bears, and then because they're an apex predator and because our management tactics are a lot different than they used to be when bears weren't listed, um, we're going to see this into the foreseeable future because as a protected species now, we can't right. just remove bears like they do black bears. Black bears get in trouble. Game, man, game warden makes that decision. I can just take that bear out. I'm sick of dealing with him. Grizzly bear gets in trouble, they have to run it all the way up the flagpole. And it has to go to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and then they got to decide what to do with it. So we're, 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 we don't have the ability to manage the population increase, um, you know, on a level the state mm -hmm. agencies want. And that's because mm -hmm. they're, delist, they're listed. And hunting early on is not going to be that big of a factor. So I think what we need to do is be a – we need to get the hunting season going and show people that, hey, we're not eradicating a population. But as we get moving on with that in the next two or three years, I think we need to be a lot more aggressive with our hunts and, and, and how many bears we're taking out of the population. Because, you know, we want a st sustainable population, but we want a sustainable population that is hunted. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. Because that's hunter opportunity. That's dollars for the state. 
that's less work by state agencies, less taxpayer dollars being spent on management actions. And so hunting is a great piece of it, but it's not going to be the answer uh, with the amount of bears we're seeing moving. And the corridor from the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, the northern continental divide ecosystem, they wanted those bears mm-hmm. to meet. We're already getting reports of bears traveling into those areas. As of the early this year, they still haven't confirmed a breeding pair from the two populations, but it's just a matter in the next two or three years, we'll see that genetic diversity because we're getting bears from the Northern Continental Divide all the way down into Southwest Montana. And we're getting uh, greater Yellowstone ecosystem bears all the way up into the um, North of Bozeman country. And so they're gonna meet and you know, what's that gonna do? We got two populations breeding now and filling in space that they've never been before. Yeah, I think in the North Cascades, too, they have uh, some potential plans. And I think um, certain members of Congress have expressed their interest to introduce bears in their so-called historical uh, populations across, I think, 12 or 14 states if they are to succeed in in bar further uh, management of grizzly bears, uh, as we saw in Congress earlier this year with that tribal uh, bill that um, the House Natural Resources put up. So I think they do have the intention to spread more bears across their um historical origins in this country um but (laughs) that's going to cause a lot of friction and i think a lot of people are worried like those who are going to be affected potentially by this north cascade uh range i think in the states of washington and such in in the pacific northwest it's uh scary for us and as a foundation the position we took on that northern cascades was we can't manage the bears that we have in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. It is uh, irresponsible of us to be placing bears in other states and causing the same issues we have now. If we could get this you know, settled down and we have managed populations by the states, not by the federal government, um, then that's something we'd be all right looking at. But right now we have a huge issue with these bears in, in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming as far as their population increase, conflict, and we're going to just populate another state with more bears and have the same issues there, that seems uh, not very sound to us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, this is not working right. Let's do it over here and just have it not work right over here. And this whole historic ranges thing, you know, grizzly bears inhabited the eastern plains of Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, So what are we talking about? We want bears in the historic ranges. It's never going to happen because people live in these Mm -hmm. places now. And unless we uproot entire communities, the bear is never going to live in historic ranges. It's just absolutely impossible for it to happen. So what they look at is mountain ranges where it's like, well, it's fairly remote, the Cascades and, you know, but you're going to start putting bears into heavily populated states, you Mm -hmm. know, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, Idaho, most populated, I believe out of the three, I'm not sure, but I think so, yeah. Bears in Washington, a lot more people in Washington, a lot more people living in uh, rural areas in Washington. California, they want bears. You Mm -hmm. know what problems they're going to have? They have a nightmare situation with mountain lions right now. I remember. I grew up and we had mountain lions come on our golf courses. (laughs) They couldn't handle that. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, It's crazy. And so I don't think it's good for the bear. It's irresponsible to put a bear in an area when we don't have the remedy. We know how to recover that's no doubt that these guys that manage the state people are the real champions right. of this recovery. They're the ones that done the work and they, they deserve all the credit because they put this bear back on the map. The state people are going to do a great job, but 
all we're going to do is have a population of bears out there that is going to be federally managed for a long time under the Endangered Species Act unless we get some changes. Mm -hmm. It'll be a situation like uh, one of the early episodes of Yellowstone, the show with Kevin Costner, where uh, his ranch hand has to shoot an endangered bear because it's a threat against his life. And uh, it was an interesting scene there. So we may see those types of scenarios play out. Even those more things so. play out um, very often yeah. in these three states. Yeah. Um, whether it's so. threat of life or threat of livestock and the livestock uh, associations and the, the, you know, the wool growers and the cattle, you know, the people that have cattle and ranches and stuff, you know, they're really being affected in northern Montana mm -hmm. because they have these large ranches that have traditionally not had grizzly bears in them. And now all of a sudden we have grizzly bears here and their livestock loss boards are just spending money like crazy for depredation. And it, it's really something that we have to change. You know, there has to be some take, give and take both ways. I get it. You know, grizzly bears are going to be on the landscape, but what's in place for them for protections for human life and for, you know, property? And and it, are, is human life devalued over a grizzly bears? And I, I love bears, but I, I don't I don't care what you do. A human life is more important than an animal. Yeah, there are some people who don't believe that, though, unfortunately. And they. <laughs> and they rep and they represent people in Congress. <laughs> Sadly, it. it's just it's it's maddening to me, and we're really seeing that where people are like, "Well, you killed that bear. Well, it was me or the bear." And there were people that would rather the bear eat you. And I'm like, no, right? I don't care what you're doing or what user group you're from. Uh, a human life is more valuable than a, than an animal's, and that's just the way it is. That is true. I mean, I think you guys do a good job of coexistence and try to show that you can live in um, in a harmony somewhat with them. But it there are some factors that make it more difficult for people like you on the ground to do so, uh, just because there's there's no way to there's no controlling mechanism to to properly manage um, the population as well. And uh, could you talk more so about how there's a depredation of ungulate species? Because I think people understand. Yes, it's a detrimental thing to the farmers when the bears are left unchecked, but people forget that other wildlife species that not only people hunt, but uh, species that people admire, go to see, et cetera, and that are part of the ecosystem, uh, particularly elk, deer, and, and other types of ungulate species, they're going to be decimated too. Have you guys seen a, a, a big uh, takeaway from that too, or, or a big effect on that as well? Yeah. You know, when you add an apex predator into the population, not add, but you augment it and you increase its population and you increase its footprint on the land, what takes, um, wh there's cause and effect. So you increase that. that, that population needs to eat. You know, that's the sole driver for wild animals is food. And so they need to eat. Well, bears don't have flat teeth. They have pointy teeth because they eat meat. And, and our bears eat a lot of um, uh, ungulates. And I think that one of the biggest ones we've seen a really a, a really drop big drop off is our moose populations in, in areas with grizzly bears, um, and it's not just grizzly bears; it's wolves, it's lions, it's everything else. But you have to have that balance there, right? And and people talk about balance. Well, there's the balance where people aren't in the equation, which isn't real anymore. There is a balance that we have to understand with people in the equation. That's the balance we need to seek. And so you have humans. And then these apex predators on the landscape, and we're all vying for that ungulate population, and a managed one by human standards is managed. But for ungulates, it's for carnivores, it's not. 
So when you increase bear populations in areas, it's definitely gonna have effect on your, your calf survival rate on elk, your moose calf survival rate, your fawn deer survival rate, and it just changes the way they live too. You know, we're seeing more and more deer and elk stay on the lowlands, on the, on the edge of urban property, in farms, on ranches. And that's the other effect on these, these big ranch populations is that deer and elk are moving into their land because there's, you know, so many predators on the landscape and they're safer there. And it, it's affected hunting licenses, revenue from hunting licenses in states where there's heavy grizzly bear population because people don't want to go hunt in areas where there's a lot of grizzly bears. So states are losing revenue right. that way, you know. So it, 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 it has a major effect on it. Indeed, and you don't have to be a hunter to understand that. And I, I'm glad you honed in on that point as well. What projects do you guys have on the radar uh, before this court case comes out? I was told by a lawyer friend in Montana that the earliest you could we could see anything from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals would be maybe January, February. But what are you guys going to be working on in the meantime uh, before that ruling comes out? Same same stuff, you know, just working with our state agencies to, to reduce conflict and, and to try and, you know, put as many bear boxes and bear fences up as we can afford. You know, money's always an issue. And the need for this stuff is that we would never have enough money to, to fulfill the need because so many people now are realizing they need conflict mitigation measures. And so working with the state agencies to just kind of increase that, put more money on the ground. Um, one project we were super excited about this year that was not grizzly bear related was the work we're doing in Wyoming with black bear research. Mm. Um, we purchased a bunch of GPS collars and worked with the um, Wyoming Game of Fish Large Carnivore team and put out some bear collars, about 10, in the uh, Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming. And that's an ongoing study to understand black bear populations. Um, so the collars will stay on for two years, and then we'll get some spatial data. And then we'll go out and put out hair snares, and we'll get a bunch of DNA from these uh, different snares. And what we can do with that is look at you know, the overall population health, where they're at, um, what they're eating, what their diets are. You can get, you can, dr you can uh, drill it all the way down to the isotope level. And so with that study kind of being large scale now, we're going to build that out into other areas in the state of Wyoming. And Wyoming's going to kind of get a really good idea of their black bear population, which that hasn't been done full scale in a really long time. Hmm. And as part of that, what we're really hoping to look at, what's really important to us is, What's happening to our black bears in these heavy grizzly use areas? Um, we are not in Alaska where there's abundance of food and resources. We, we, we live in a, you know, on an island over here in the GYE. And so you have black bears and grizzly bears sharing the same food source and there ain't that much of it. And we're really interested in seeing what's happening to our black bear population in grizzly bear use areas. So hopefully we can look at this study that we're doing and use it as a, you know, kind of a, training mechanism to maybe build it out into some other states and, and maybe get some ideas of what's happening to black bears and grizzly bear uh, populations. So that's awesome. Are you guys doing bear den studies? I don't know if um, this uh, uh, partner with a payer program from the fish and wildlife has come out that West uh, here on the East coast. And I'm going to be roped into this sometime in the spring next year, uh, but they're bringing on uh, people from the industry, media, biologists, others that are interested to come uh, accompany wildlife biologists for bear den studies. So you get to help uh, hold bear cubs while the biologists tag and take samples and kind of assess the health of the 
bear population is is that also something you guys have too or nothing out we've that done, way yet? Uh, we've we've only gone to one den typically we're out here where the bears den are are almost inaccessible in the winter time ah, yeah yeah, um, yeah. large it's a volumes of snow bears are buried steep country high elevation so they tend to leave the bears alone in the den unless something happens like a collar fails they can use that time to go in and try and replace the collar while the bears are asleep and that's what we did on the one occasion but for the most part they don't have the opportunity to get into dens and stuff like they do out east with the the lack of there's less snow a little more moderate climate and and uh landscape um these bears den in some pretty remarkable country steep straight up and down rock shale slides and stuff and so it's just it's not very easy to get into these dens yeah i i remember that it's uh because we have a slightly different climate where the bears really don't hibernate out here so it is different definitely different for the situation yeah, out and ours, ours do <laughs> it's a survival mechanism they have to out here and we're actually seeing right. bears you know, they, they, it depends on where they live, but we're getting bears going into den now until November. Grizzly bears will stay out as long as there's food. They, they'll stay out longer. Um, and grizzly bears, you know, you'll there's been reports of people seeing them in December and January out here, which is it's crazy. But, you know, as long as there's food out there, they'll stay out. But they typically go in in November and come out in March, April, and black bears will be, you know, on the shoulder of that a little bit, maybe October, November, uh, April, May. And so um, if they did not, there's just no food for them to survive. Mm -hmm. That is, that is something to consider. Yeah. But no, I was just curious if you guys had had that because those seem like really cool opportunities. Um, I would love to come out East and do yeah, that. You so <laughs> yeah, you should. Cause they say that anyone who supports hunting or ghost hunting, they just want to see all these bears killed and decimated. And that's not true. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. No, no. <laughs> They're my favorite animal. I can sit and watch them for hours, and that's I'm just so passionate about them. And and then that's a hard thing to explain to people, right? That's right. what a lot of hunters deal with is, well, you hunt something that you love so much, I don't understand it. And so that's always what we're struggling with, getting that message across. But it is good for a group like us to be like, hey, we're a hunting group, but, man, we're trying to do a lot for bears. And there's really no one on the West, in the West doing anything um, for bears, that is a pro hunting group, you know, no, that's dedicated true. specifically to bears. You know, there's other groups that aren't dedicated specifically to bears. And then we have a lot of the anti hunting, you know, that those NGOs that are completely against hunting and they have a lot of money. And so our goal is to like slowly nudge them out of the funding and be more, be more of the go-to organization for these bear issues and not anti hunting groups. That's true. Uh, do, you, do you see like a similar effort to what you guys are doing, maybe starting out East? I don't know, like creating an Eastern Bear Foundation too, or, or have, have people talked to you about doing that? Well, was, we have actually got a lot of people talk to us about being a national organization, oh. which in my dream one day it would be really cool to maybe not be the Western Bear Foundation, but you know, the seeds that we created is built into a national organization that's so strong and so powerful when it comes to work on the ground and having a say in conservation and management of black bears that were, 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 were national. Um, what we're seeing now on the East coast is very, actually, there's a lot more people passionate about bears on the East coast just because there's not as much opportunity to hunt things on the East coast as there is out West. You know, you got mule deer, elk, whitetail, 
So there's some really strong groups on the East. You know, you got Virginia Bear Hunters, mm-hmm. and you got up in Michigan and Wisconsin. They have a lot of state level groups, and they kind of do their own thing within their state. And they're actually pretty strong groups, and they're doing a lot of great work on the ground. But it's more of a state localized level. Um, and I think in one day it would be really neat to keep those organizations at the state level, but have a group for them that's national that can like they can reach out to on bigger issues, you know, Hey, they're trying to ban this or they're trying to do this and they have a national group. That's got a lot of money and power that can help them and and, and kind of like a a place to go to. So one day I think that would be really neat. You know, it's going to be tough for us because we're all volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we're all doing this outside of our regular jobs. And so you can only get so big when you're in that, you know, kind of model, but Mm -hmm. one day, you know, we hope to, to grow into a bigger, you know, more national level or, be a partner to those groups out East, you know, Hey, we have different issues than you do, but we're all bear people. And so if we have to come out there and, and speak, or if we have to come out there and do groundwork and help, we're so about that. And like the same goes, they can come out this way and help. And I think we need that. And that builds a, a that builds a really good foundation of strong groups together, you know, basically fighting for the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. The sportsman's Alliance does that. And I think Safari club obviously does that as well. So there are a few groups out East that do, <laughs> and, and maybe you all just yeah. have to work in uh, in unison a bit more, but it, it's not impossible. I think you guys all have shared interests no. and uh, they, they want to work with as many people as possible too. Where can people support the Western bear foundation, connect with you guys, support your efforts and get involved. Yeah. So uh, Western bear foundation.org is our website. Um, we have a, a way you can sign up for a membership there and, and we have donation stuff all on our website and a small store. And then we're on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, they can follow us on there and that's a good way to kind of stay in tune with what we're doing um, as far as groundwork and projects and stuff. And then, you know, the membership is really good because that's way we can reach out to people and say, hey, we're doing this in this area. Do you want to be involved? And we're doing this. And, and it kind of keeps you in tune with what's happening on not only the conservation side, but the hunting side. So we try and keep all our members in tune and keep people. And that's a, been a big thing that for a long time, bear hunters didn't have that person or that group that was telling them certain things were at risk for them. And, and we're, we're really hoping to do that. We've done a good job of like, letting people know what's happening with the game and fish commissions, what's happening in legislation. And so they have an understanding too. So yeah, all that is great. My phone number's on the website. When you call that, you give me a call and I'm, I'm happy to talk and, and visit with anyone about bears and bear issues. You're always a very good repository of information. And I appreciate you coming back on again to share what you guys are up to, what's the latest. And people may think, well, why does this concern people on the East Coast or uh, in Washington, D.C. area? And it's because of some kind of uh, obtuse politicians that you guys are kind of strangled uh, and kind of confined to not actually being able to do what you guys are supposed to do best is uh, manage the resource in your backyard. And you have people telling you in Washington, D.C. that you can't. So I think there is that important connection to to note and and um, to kind of take whatever even is negative and and offer the alternative like what you're doing and sharing your perspective and I think it's important that more people know uh, and can find ways to support you guys because it can affect any region in the United States not just out west. Yeah, and it's 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 hard for people to put this into their mind, but you know when you got a judge like Christensen, he's an appointed judge, and so our elected officials appoint these judges, and if mm-hmm. we're going to play the game of wildlife being in courts. 
we need judges that are understanding of wildlife and, and we need judges that are, so, you know, it's, it, it, it all stems back to who you vote for and who gets elected. And, and it sucks that it's that way. Wildlife management should be done by these brilliant guys that are at the state level that have done all the work and their hands are tied. So, you know, until we change, you know, a lot of it has to do with who we elect. And, and you know, that goes right back to D.C. Yeah, it's all interconnected, regardless of what region we're in. It is. Joe, I appreciate you coming on and sharing what you guys have been up to. And please don't be a stranger and send more information our way. I would love to keep people in the loop with what's happening uh, at my writings at the Resurgent or through social media or whatever way that I can. So please, hey, please uh, continue to be, to be doing good on. work. Happy to be on. Thanks for all your work out there. Uh, that is a, a tough spot you're in. And so you're doing a lot of good work for sportsmen and, and getting the appreciate that. out to everyone. So awesome job and keep up the good work for us out here. Of course, anytime I can help, I want to be helpful. Thank you. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on the variety of different platforms we are currently hosted on, specifically Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You should download past episodes, leave a review if you like what you hear, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing a lot of in-person interviews with some really standout people I've gotten to know here in the Washington, D.C. area who play a very integral role in conservation policy and even just conservation ethics in both the hunting and fishing space. We have a very cool slew of guests coming on the podcast very soon. You don't want to miss it. Make sure to subscribe, follow, share the good word, and Good luck if you are going hunting or if you are resuming with fishing this season and weekend. Take care. Thank you for listening.